Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 88, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. Why teachers are turning to podcasts as instructional tools. And the governor of Florida wants to make it easier for teachers to receive a bonus. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, an educator explains why she taught her students a book that she's never read. Hello, everybody. Nick Cortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire Lissa Pruitt. Lisa, how you doing? I'm great. I've kind of got a weak voice. <laughs> I was going to say, yes, you do. Russ actually is off because, uh, well, he's not off, but he's not here with us on the show. They are doing a big uh, all-hands meeting uh, with his company, School Status. Uh, so it's just you and I today. Um, but uh, we got something on Twitter that I wanted to share. We had a, uh, a listener, a regular listener. Um, her name's Stella Pollard, and she sent us a tweet yesterday, and she said, I love y'all's podcast. Listening to episode 87, I think some districts cancel in advance, referring to we were talking about those yes, Saturdays. She says, I think some districts cancel in advance to give parents a chance to find childcare. And you know what? She's probably right. We didn't even bring that up. I think it's great for them to cancel in advance. You're right. They do need help with, you know, making sure everything's ironed out for the next day. But I wish the district would build in days at the end of the year that we don't, you know, we don't have to show up for right if we didn't you know yeah i hear you yeah no i i see both sides uh we really appreciate the uh the comment uh stella if anybody ever wants to reach us uh on twitter we do monitor this it's at class dismiss pod it's not dismissed ed it's just class dismiss pod um on twitter and um anyone that listens to our podcast on a regular basis they are a super teacher not just because they listen to our podcast but you know why because they're trying to stay current. Exactly. Because they grind it out all day long. Right. And they're exhausted. And then they hop in their car or they're walking around their house cleaning and they're listening to us talk about what they do all day long. I learn stuff from our podcasts all the time and well, I'm good. on the podcast. Right. <laughs> like, so I'm like, oh, really? What? Yeah. Well, good. That, that's, <laughs> that's what we're going for. But just anybody to have that dedication, kudos to you. Uh, thank you, Stella. We appreciate the uh, comments. And I think she sent us something a, a while back as well, uh, back when Hamish Brewer was on. And, and I think she loved I that fave. episode. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. So um, are you ready to uh, hop into the teacher's lounge? I want to know what's going on around the country. Well, what is it? What's going around, on around the country? What's going on in your neck of the woods? Oh, Who like Al Roker? That? That's Al Roker. Is that? Okay. That's I knew, his, somebody, I knew I'd heard yeah, that. Let's see what's <laughs> going on in your neck of the woods. Today's show. Okay. Um, story out of Education Week, which this, I'm, I'm, it's funny, we're talking about podcasts, it kind of blew my mind, I'm not going to lie. Um, Baltimore City Schools, it, the, the, the article opens up with a teacher talking about how ridiculous she kind of thought it was that Baltimore City Schools are listing, listing podcasts as an activity requirement suggestion for mm-hmm. kindergartners. 
podcasting in the classroom, like where kindergartners are podcasting. Yeah. So I was like, what? And of course, I go on to read the rest of the article. And she says, I mean, guys, they're still wetting their pants in kindergarten. No, they're not. And we expect them to podcast. Do they still wet their pants in kindergarten? Well, yeah. They still wet their pants in second grade. That's that's off off subject. (laughs) Um. So that so someone's complaining that they're doing podcasts well, in kindergarten. She was just reading through the list of suggested activities. What this is, Nick, is like when you work for a district, they have a framework that aligns with their state objectives and mm-hmm. guidelines. And so sometimes they'll give you suggested activities that go along with certain frameworks, you know, that is you have to teach this. Here's some ideas and ways to do it. So it listed podcasting in kindergarten, which she was like are you kidding me? Um, and I, I mean, I have to agree. When I first was reading, I yeah. was like, what? And I mean, here I am on a podcast, but I'm thinking that's crazy. But after reading the rest of the article, I thought, okay, you know right. what? That's actually now pretty I adorable. Yeah, you, you, yeah, so basically me. they want you to find ways to have children write, but they're not really writing. But you're getting the same meat. You're You're able to review what they learned mm-hmm. and and analyze it based on what they produced. So a lot of times that comes in the form of writing. Mm-hmm. But with kindergartners, clearly there's a disconnect there. That's hard for them to write out. But they can talk all day long. That's what they do. They talk yeah. all day long. This is true. And they might so, say the darndest things. You right. Know? So they said if you could get students to podcast by using these little classroom apps on these iPads that they already yeah. have. Because I mean, you can podcast with any recording device, really. It may not right. sound great, but you can do it. So she basically, in the article, she goes across the hall to ask the teacher across the hall, are you kidding me? What, how are we going to do this? Well, that teacher was like, well, here's what we do in our class. Here's how it could work. you know. So now she's a fan of podcasting with her kindergartners to where they have to write three sentences, complete thoughts. Yeah. They have to be able to read those three sentences on the podcast mm-hmm. and basically then they draw pictures and things that go with it. But it's basically her little podcast, her classroom podcast is each little adorable kindergartner stepping up. I like it. And reading their little sentences that they've created about themselves or something they like or yeah. about a pet. They had to learn about a pet, talk about a pet. So then she edits it together I think she uses the app called Anchor. Mm-hmm. You can edit and record. Yeah, in fact, we actually like published Anchor changed, and, and I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here. But basically, Anchor was originally going to be like a micro podcasting type thing. It was basically for Twitter for audio. That was their original okay. mission, and I think they found that people wanted to talk more, and it made broadcasting yourself a little easier than like a true podcasting way because it's difficult. Yeah, it took it took me a while to get everything set up the first time. Right, that's why I was like, "What? I know how hard it is for Nick to do our podcast. Like, ain't no way I'm doing a podcast." Right, the setup is difficult, so Anchor kind of takes that that part away from it. So gotcha. now Anchor's more of just an easy way to get a podcast out there. But even so, like a couple things. Um, the if you make a podcast, it doesn't mean you have to publish it. Like, let's just put that aside. Like, I mean, you can you can have children write a book. And you don't have to publish the book. Like right. you, it's still a good learning experience. So mm-hmm. so kudos there. And and the other thing is, 
I um, it's funny you brought this up because was it last last week I went to a conference, um, the Mecca conference in Jackson, Mississippi, and I actually was able to teach a, a course on how to teach how to make your students do a podcast, and it was more of on the technical side, and I gave some examples and stuff of like you know what we do, and it was trying to get it to sound good and how expensive the equipment is and so forth. The class was packed, like every seat was taken, and and I before we started the course, I said, "Are you guys here because you want?" To podcast yourself, like, you know, like, which is fine. Like, that's more power to you. Or are you here because you want your students to podcast? Every single person except one guy who was already doing a podcast um, said, I'm here for my students. I want my students to learn how to do this. So I get it. Okay. Well, I mean, honestly, statistically, 13 million people in 2016 said they are a fan of podcasts. That grew to 2017 to be 16 million. So whereas people used to not know how much about n- not know much about podcasting yeah, or even how them. to find one. Right. You know, it's definitely becoming more popular. Um, I, there's, this was another idea in the article that I thought was good. This was for older students, like maybe, you know, fourth grade and up find a history podcast, like a specific episode right. or find, um, something about, um, social skills, social, you know, right. with, with youngsters or whatever I like that. And have a walkabout, have everybody log in on their device with headphones and walk around the school, just walk around and everyone's listening on headphones to the same thing, but then you get back in the classroom and you all discuss what you listened to on your walkabout. I love it. And so that that's not recording a podcast, but that's using podcasts in the classroom. Right, yeah. So it It goes both ways. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that you're recording... Um, but then, there, of course, they went even further in a high school setting. There was a podcast created called Unknown Voices. And they basically went, this group, went and interviewed students that are maybe low-key, recluse, maybe just shy, introverted right. students. And they were able to get them to talk one-on-one. Because they were being interviewed. Right. They were interviewed one-on-one to talk about their story. Maybe some of these were immigrants. Right. um, To where the podcast is just unknown voices of their high school. They may or may not tell their name. Mm -hmm. And they basically just tell their story about their life, their hardships. Right. Whatever. And so it helps you realize as a high schooler what other people around you all day long are coming from, different backgrounds. Right, right. Great, great idea. Great. You know? that, that's honestly one of my biggest regrets from high school is I was at a big school, you know, 400 plus students. And then I look back at, at annuals, yearbooks, whatever you want to call them. And I go, I really didn't know that person or that person right. or that person. And and I did find myself in not a tight click, but just a, you know, you, you only hang out in certain groups. And then you kind of like, well, this person's doing amazing things now as an adult. And I, I see him on Facebook, but I didn't really know. Him. I know. And, and I like that, our you know? high school yearbook staff is like hard to be on. Like it's a huge high school. Mm-hmm. And so it is cutting edge to be on that they do an incredible job they do an amazing they won awards very impressive they deserve so i was thinking about after i read this that's uh, oak grove high school by the way yeah Yeah. oak grove high school um i was thinking about i thought you know what the yearbook editor they could have a whole separate which the yearbook podcast that highlights different students Mm -hmm. throughout the year yeah and episode you know does an episode law that would make perfect sense and so you have people that don't want to do so much the digital graphic yeah. photography but side. They can still but be they archiving the story. story. Yeah. They tell the story of the school and then that's out there 
for the rest, of course, you can print it in the yearbook. Right. Different episodes have their face, you know, or have whatever the, the, the logs are. And then there you're telling the story of the high school, and that's a whole separate chapter to a yearbook staff. Well, right I, have to, I have to brag on your son a little bit because he has a podcast. Yes, my son does. At, at age 13. Yes, which is so funny of why I was like, why are they trying to get kids to podcast? Which yeah. my son. Has. Yeah, well, you said kindergartners, but yeah, he's, he's kindergartners. That was crazy, but I'm sure it's adorable. Um, yeah, his is called Catch Cade. Yeah. He is a podcast created by teens for teens. They yeah. talk about teen topics. Yeah. I appear on their podcast from time uh, to time. And you're a seasoned veteran, so. Yeah, they have the Your Mom segment where they basically complain about things that parents do. Yeah. Um, and then I get to come in as the mom and try to explain the other side of that. Yeah, well, so they're open. Yeah, and normally I, I definitely can't. They can't argue with what I say because I'm I'm right. right. So they're just kind of like, uh, right. No. <laughs> here's here's what I worry about with podcasts. That that's awesome that he does that. But here's what I worry about po- with podcasts in general. I like podcasts because you and me or your son or any small business can create their own podcast. Anyone anyone can create their own podcast and they can they can get a following. But now the the large media companies are seeing the power of the podcast, yeah. right? So there's a company named Gimlet Media and they were making podcasts and they make them well. They do like high quality podcasts, you know, good stories. They travel, they have a big budget. They do all sorts of stuff. And they were just, well, apparently Spotify is planning to buy them for how much money? Take a guess. Oh gosh. Spotify is going to buy Gimlet Media, this podcasting company. Two hundred. Million. Oh my gosh! Dollars. I was going to guess two million. No, two hundred million dollars, and it's going to be this big expansion into podcasting because they know they already make good content. They're basically buying the content they're going to put on Spotify. Right. It might be exclusive there. Um, but so uh, that worries you? Well, it, it doesn't worry me. I just don't want. I like that the little guys have a voice, yeah. and I don't want the big guys to come in and just stomp everything. You know. But I mean, we. But you could say the same could happen on YouTube, and YouTube's still there and it's still thriving, and, and the little guys getting a voice, right. and even though you have. Great television shows. So I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, you just don't want – you hope that people will, will look for content from the little guy, not just yeah. the big companies. And I will say with my son's podcast, he has students, you know, kids listening from all over the world that message him and say, like, you know, even people from other cultures that are like, that's really – cool that That's y'all awesome. do that or this or you know so it is you're right you know disney could come and create a podcast that would be some awesome kid some awesome yeah. yeah that's not really real yeah. you know that's too scripted yeah but you know Cade's whole point was to create podcasts that helps other kids not feel so alone right. and more connected to realize that it's a maybe a rough phase in life but we're all in it together and let's at least laugh about it right you know that's cool. So yeah, well, I see what you're saying, and and uh, the advertising sometimes in podcasts gets on my nerves. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you you want people to to earn some money so they have a reason to do yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, you don't want like constant. But there are know. definitely podcasts that do it well that make me they Laugh. do make me want to go buy that toothbrush. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hear you. They're like, hey, your teeth look great, <laughs> and you're like, thanks, <laughs> thanks. My I'm using the oral care. I don't know. Okay, one more thing. If you have students that are podcasting in your school, like if you're already a school out there that's doing this, NPR is having a a challenge, kind of a contest. You still have time to submit. It's like you have until March thirty first of twenty nineteen. The judging will take place in April. It's for fifth grade through twelfth grade students. 
Your podcast can only be three to 12 minutes long. They do have some prompts that they want you to follow. You can choose different topics to speak about. There, You're not allowed to have music, and it has to be submitted by the teacher. So, Nick, maybe you could put a link to... Yeah, I can put a link to that. And on gonna, our website. And I'm going to do another link, because I actually, when I was doing that talk um, at Mecca, I, I knew that people were going to be like, what microphone do you get? And what this, and I didn't want to go into the weeds and yeah. like specific, you know, items. And plus, you know, people have different budgets. So what I did was on my my work page, my ortogocreative.com page, I, I wrote a blog that like list, these are the, the equipment I use. Here's a cheaper version. Here's a more expensive version. So I'll link that there as well. So if someone actually wants to get serious about it and they're not just like podcasting, um, you know, with their phone, I mean, you can, you can build a set for podcasting, like the microphone and the equipment you need for as little as it was like 300 and I want to say like 70 bucks. And you can go as high as 1600 bucks. Well, you can go as thousands and thousands of dollars if you want to buy really expensive stuff. But I mean, you can get good quality stuff yeah. for like $1,600. So if your district's paying for it, you know. Or fill out a donor's cheese. Yeah, exactly. Or pledge sense or, or whatever makes sense. Um, let's change gears. Uh, this is uh, out of Florida. The the new governor, you know, I'm always skeptical about like politicians and their, their pay raises for teachers. I say they always do it when there's an election. Right. I got to give Florida a little credit because they just elected a governor and he's like not not doing a pay raise, but he wants to change the rules of their bonus plan. They've had a bonus plan in Florida for teachers and principals for a long time. Um, but he wants to make it easier to get that bonus. It, and the, really the sticking point was, which was so weird to me, um, the name of the, the program is called the Best and the Brightest Teacher Scholarship Program. Uh, but they're going to do away with the, se- the section that rewards teachers based on their ACT and SAT scores, because apparently that was part of the criteria. So it was like basically an evaluative type process that they would do. And then you also had to have a high... SAT or ACT you score. You personally as the teacher? Right, which is weird. And I don't know... So it, creepy. Yeah, and I don't know like how long that would go on. Like, Would they look at you and be like, I'm sorry, you're a great teacher, Lisa, but back 15 years ago, yeah, back you in struggled on the ACT. Yeah, okay. So you're not eligible for this bonus. Like, that would be silly. And, <laughs> and so they want to make it easier to hand out these bonuses, um, and I think that's good, but they have to come up with the money, so they're going to have to set aside more money in the state legislative level to, to be able to pay off these bonuses. But what do you think? I mean, I think anytime you can find a way to give teachers a little extra money and a little add a girl or add a boy, go for it. But I don't know about using standardized testing. Right. Back when they weren't even in college. Like, that's crazy. Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it just seems, in fact, even in the article, it says, um, this is out of the Orlando Sentinel, um, it says the best and the brightest program um, has been controversial because. It, it, it is discriminatory and unfair, according to um, the teachers' union, yeah. and, and they just say it's bad legislation. So it's good to see that like they're quickly trying to fix that. It, it is going to cost them money. It also seems like I'm excited because it's a little bit of a tipping point here. Florida knows that they are having trouble recruiting and retaining teachers, yeah. and so it's great to know it. It's another thing to do something. It sounds like they're doing something, and and I hope to see that you know kind of take place across the country. Yeah. You know, t- states working harder. And I can see where they say no. We want. Truly, truly high qualified personnel. We want the brightest. We want right. smart, smart people in these jobs. We don't want to water down what we require of our teachers. Mm-hmm. I can see where they are trying to give an incentive for, hey, this is a really bright person that had a great score on the SAT. Yeah. They could have done anything and they wanted to be a teacher. We're going to give them a bonus. I hear you. 
But I also, you know me, how I feel about standardized testing and that there's some people that do not test as well, but are probably the most dynamic teachers you could find. I have a pretty dumb analogy, but I'm going to use it anyways. (laughs) You ever see My Cousin Vinny? Yeah. He struggled to pass the bar. Like Vinny couldn't pass the bar. But when he got in the courtroom, he was an awesome attorney when he just got that (laughs) chance. And I'm sure there's teachers out there that are the same way that struggled to pass the ACT, the LSAT, whatever it is they got to take. Right. But then they get in the classroom and they're amazing. And right. so, yeah, I, I think that. Was that a dumb analogy? Was it as dumb no, as I no, prefaced and kind of kind of right. lowered the bar a little bit there? <laughs> Just so you know, your voice doesn't hurt to talk. I don't want our, our viewers, listeners yeah, to me no, to. I told Nick, yeah. I don't think I can record. And Nick was like, no, no, you have to come in. <laughs> this is not the case. <laughs> I just want them to know that we do not have a gun I in almost head. always have a raspy voice. Yeah. I mean, it does. Yeah. It does go out. It's funny how raspy sounds raspy. Um, but anyways, <laughs> we're going to give your voice a break. We're going to um, go ahead and jump into the uh, bright idea. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. We have a second time guest on. Do you remember the teacher that uses George Orwell's 1984 to basically like she turns her classroom into a dictatorship? Yes. Well, I remember us discussing it, but I have not read the book. She did something else that I really liked and she posted about it. And I saw it. And I'm like, you got to come back on the show. So we better. Aww. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is a two-time class-dismissed visitor. Dina Legerman joined us back on episode 44, where she talked about how she simulated a dictatorship in her classroom when teaching George Orwell's 1984. I invited Dina back because I just read a new Medium post she made about how she shifted away from the traditional curriculum and taught a book she had never read. Dina, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. I really wanted to have you on because, one, I just love this post, and two, it's it had a, a good theme about it where we've been kind of talking about here of late on the show, and that's the idea of trying to get students interested in reading, not just kind of giving them the same old traditional book. Is that where this all started for you? Pretty much, yes. It's it's always a struggle getting students to read, as you probably know, speaking with so many teachers. And I just I try everything, so this was something new that I tried, and it worked work this time around in the post you, you you admitted to being on the other side of this you admitted that when you were a student there was a time where where you used cliff notes to kind of get through a book right I did yes I, I did have that confession <laughs> right and so I mean did you feel guilty or, or did it offer a perspective for you like what is that like when when then now you see your students possibly doing the same thing well I think it gives me I think I understand them you know, and I and I think it shows that I wasn't always this like reader who needed to read everything was assigned to me and that I actually understand how they feel about what we as teachers assign. Before you you grabbed this non-traditional book, what do you think your classroom was like in terms of reading what I would call the traditional books? Like you would give them, I don't know, what, what do you give at your age level? You're in high school, right? I'm in high school. I, I teach juniors and seniors. So what's like the typical book that you would give juniors and seniors? Oh, juniors read The Great Gatsby. They read The Crucible of um, of Mice and Men. Uh, the seniors read, oh, and Shakespeare. So the juniors read Macbeth. The seniors read Hamlet. Um, they read, well, 1984. Um, they read, uh, what else do my seniors read? Oh, Death of a Salesman. So your basic, you know, standard curriculum that's been taught for hundreds of years, so, <laughs> you know, <right>. decades. <laughs> so being honest, what do you have, about 45 students? I have 45 total seniors. Okay. Um, and I have about the same amount of juniors. All right. Well, let's just take um, Great Gatsby. So I guess that's your juniors. How many do you actually... That's my juniors. Yeah. How many do you actually think would read the book? 
on their own. <laughs> yeah, on their own. No spark notes. Like they're just like, you know, they're like loving it and they're participating in class discussions. I mean, out of the 45, I mean, do you think it's 15 or, or are we at like... Oh, no, 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 no. I, I would say two. Really? Like on their own, you know, on their own without, you know, being... You're talking about if I don't grade them for it either? No, no I'm saying you're grading, but I just like, you know, do you really truly believe they aren't trying to pull the wool over your eyes and, you know, they might no. be, you know, watching the movies no, and, and using spark notes and stuff like that? No, only two. I, I'm, I, I probably, I would say two. Okay. I, I don't think many of them will just go on like, I can do this on my own. And, you know, while there's so many resources available to them, um, no, I don't think many would. So, so, if, so if I'm understanding you right, like you were like, I've, I've got to switch this up. I'm going to go get a, what I guess we call a non-traditional book and just put it out there for my class, a book that you hadn't even read yet. Is that, that was your plan, right? That was my plan because I wanted to find something that would possibly interest them and that they can't find on the internet, like information about it on the internet. That was my goal. That, that's good. <laughs> so, so what book did you go with? I went with Scythe by Neil Schusterman. Okay. And and I guess my first question is, how did you get that okayed with your principal? Well, my principal's great. She um, she does... The, the great thing about my school is that, you know, the principal, the administration overall has trust in their teachers. And I think I've proven myself to them to where they know that I'm not just, you know, trying to... Uh, you know, uh, have anarchy in my classroom where I'm trying to do different activities with the students. And my principal is all about choice and professional development. So when I brought this up to her saying, listen, we need to give our students more choice because we have a pop, we work with a population of students who are not readers. They don't come from homes that model reading or um, very few of them, very few, <laughs> a handful may be reading on their own just outside of school. So I said, you know, we need to give them choices. And I heard about this book from a friend. I haven't read it yet, but it's in the dystopian section, which I, you know, I do 1984. Mm -hmm. And that text, you know, is very, in, you know, I have to, I have to work with students in depth with it, but I wanted something that they could kind of grasp on their own and scythe from what I read about it and from what I understood was you know a much more simple read like hunger game type style where it's young adult literature and they can possibly do it on their own because I hadn't read it so I couldn't really walk them through it and so I guess you had to get the funding or somebody had to buy the books right for a classroom set yes yes I had to fill out the the form and you know I, I honestly didn't know I was going to get it it had to go through the approval process and when I was told that it was approved I was I didn't honestly I didn't question it <laughs> right, right. I was just like thank you so much we're, we're doing this right. so I got a class set and that was all we needed so you have this class set aside you, you turn to your class and you're like all right kids we're gonna read this book that I'm excited about that I haven't read, like, what was their reaction? Well, you know, they basically were like, wait, you didn't, you didn't read this? How are you going to teach us? <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to learn together. That's going to be the beauty of that. All right. So tell me about about the process. So, so you guys start diving into this. Did it play out like you expected it to play out? Well, I, I was hoping that the students would get into it. I actually set them up in literature circles. I didn't really have a unit or anything for this. I've done literature circles with my with other novels um, last year and you know years prior. But I figured, okay, I don't have a unit. I don't really know what the book is about, so not like I can give them questions or even journal entries or any discussion. Um, so I basically said, okay, we're going to do it in literature circles. 
You're going to have different roles. You're going to read it together. You're going to construct meaning together. I'm going to sit in with different with a different group every day, and we're going to discuss it together as we read, as we go along. And that was, you know, that was working out really well. And the, and and I was, you know, pleasantly surprised when the students just got into it. Like like two chapters in, they were really into it. Um, and I, and I mean, I I could tell why the book is very interesting. But you know, even so. <laughs> so, uh, how many students do you think were? actually engage with the book as opposed to Great Gatsby where we had maybe two. Where were you now? Oh, well, out of my 45, six seniors that I have, um, 40 were reading. Wow. Probably. Maybe only six. And, you know, the usual suspects weren't. <laughs> but everyone else pretty much was. I mean, that that's a huge success. Like, you, you had to be thrilled, right? Oh, I, I was I was so I was so excited. It, it was amazing. You were reading the book along with them. Did you like that, or did you would you have rather have been more informed? No, I have really enjoyed that because we kind of constructed meaning together, and you know, I actually fell back a little, so they read ahead, and they would be like, "Miss Eggerman, did you did you get to that part yet?" Oh my god! Oh my god! We can't wait until you get there. So like, they were so excited, and they were so excited for me to get to the part where they were at. That to me was just like I won. Like it was the best feeling. <laughs> yeah. And I would, and then I'd have, I'd have to yell at them to not tell me what happens next because they really wanted me to know. That's really. But that was awesome. an amazing feeling, and like I couldn't. At sometimes I couldn't even have discussions with them because so many had already read ahead that they were like, well, I know what happens. Because like, I'll be like, let's foreshadow. Then they'll be like, well, I know what happens. We don't need to foreshadow. I already know because I already finished the book. Like so many of them actually finished reading the book when we were when most of the class was already, well, were only like halfway through. Have you had other teachers try this experiment, for lack of a better term? Um, in my, in my yeah, that, that you I don't, know, of, I don't yeah. know. No, I don't know anyone who has done this yet. I mean, would you recommend it or are there any points uh, pointers or tips that that you would tell teachers like if they're going to do this this is what you would do differently or would you just do it the exact same way I would do it the exactly the same way um I don't know if there if there are any other ways to do it unless you you know you're the type of person who just has to have something like a concrete lesson every day you know what you're going to do with me I decided to just like let this like ride the wave you know and and for me with my personality and with the way my class works it worked um, whereas I don't know, maybe someone who needs like a specific lesson plan, maybe they want to read a few chapters ahead of the kids. So at least they're more prepared for the questions that may come. Um, because I, I, you know, while the kids didn't really have too many questions, if they did, I probably wouldn't have known the answers. I'd be like, all right, well, let me read that part and then I'll get, <laughs> I'll get back to you. You know, me being a realist, I guess, uh, I, I would believe that, and some people might be aghast by this, but that there's probably some seniors and juniors out there who have never really read a novel from front to back. And um, you might have been, you know, the first novel that you might have inspired that first novel that they read. I mean, did you did you get any feedback from any students like that, that, that you inspired them to read other books in the future? Well, the, what? so I believe <laughs> you're a realist and I also am a realist. And a lot of my students have never read a novel front to back um, for school or outside of school, even in school. You know, they can spark notes or schmoop or whatever other resources are available. That's what they do. And I can't even blame them because that's, you know, why make it hard for yourself when everything could be so much easier, right? So, so 
many of them came up to me and said, you know, we, this is, this was the best book I've ever read, or this is the only book I've ever read. And not only that, but towards the end, they were asking me if we could have um, the sequel because it's a trilogy. And they're like, can we get the sequel? And I said, well, you know, it's not up to me. I can't order it for you, but <laughs> go, go talk to the principal and see if she would be willing to, to place an order. So they went, they went, multiple students went to the principal and said, you know, they, they requested the book and she actually ended up ordering 25 copies. That's awesome. And they, and they asked me, they said, well, can we read it? And I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys, like we, we do have to get moving into other things that we're doing, but you're more than welcome to read it outside of, of class. And if you want, like we can figure out what you, I can do, maybe extra credit or something else, or if you could just read it for yourselves. So out of the 25 copies she ordered, 20 copies, the kids borrowed 20 copies. So 20 kids borrowed wow. the second book to do it on their own time, like without any grades, nothing. Like they just wanted to know what happens next. I mean, that has to really be rewarding. It was, it, it really is great. It really is great. And when I asked them like, how many of you actually like, just be honest, we have a very good relationship. I said, be honest, like how many of you enjoyed this, this book at the end? And like I said, like 40 out of the 46 raised their hand and they said they really liked it. So, so what's the plan next year? Do you try to find another book that you haven't read or do you do this one again, knowing that you've had good feedback from, from the kids? I'm definitely going to do this one again. It's going to, I'm, I'm going to keep it as part of my curriculum because out of every book that I've taught, um, this one has had the most success and the students just really loved it. And, um, I think the closest thing that would come to it is possibly The Great Gatsby. Like the kids somewhat like it as well. Um, but never have I ever had four or 40 kids out of 46 actually enjoying a novel we read in class. So I, I am definitely going to keep it. Um, in terms of new you know, text, I, I will try to do maybe like literature circles with different books. So I could have maybe like five of each. Um, I'm doing a lot of research on young adult literature and you know what's available out there. And hopefully I can get something new, even if it's not like a full class set every year. So I could just add it into my, um, you know, classroom library. What would you say to the literature purist who says, you know, but you got to teach them the classics, you know, you shouldn't be doing young adult literature. It's not as complex and and it's not as deep as some of these other books. Yeah. You know, I, um, (laughs) I, I would probably say that it's already, it's hard enough getting teenagers or kids to read. And when we're giving them classics, and I think you can do both. It doesn't mean that, you know, we read Scythe, but we can't read 1984. We're going to read both of them. I think there's room for young adult literature in the classroom to get your students excited about reading. You know, I always say when my friends have um, kids who struggle with reading, I say, let them read anything, anything that they might be interested in. It doesn't have to be these like classics, because once you get interested in reading, you can possibly get interested in reading the classics on your own eventually, but you just have to get that desire to read, to want to know what happens in the story, in this world that you're not a part of. Uh, Dina Legerman, it's an awesome experience and I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with Thank us. Thank you. Um, if somebody wants to keep up with you, I know you seem to have this really big following on Medium. Is that one place to find you? Yeah, I'm on Medium. I'm on a Facebook and Twitter. I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> what, what's your uh, Twitter handle if you don't mind sharing? Uh, sure. It's a D-I-N-A-C-H-K-A-82. Um, that's my Twitter handle. So, and you could, and Medium has that click. You can just click on Medium and it'll take me there. It'll take you there. Great. Thanks again. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.